Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Cy Wilmore. This is the second series of The Journey Podcast, where we're speaking to the writers and photographers who've worked on issue two of Journey Magazine. And as such, I'm joined by Lee Kabai, a freelance travel writer specializing in Asia, as well as a luxury travel consultant based in Hong Kong. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lee. Hope you're doing well today. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to be talking to you. I uh, I hear that obviously you're normally based in Asia, but you're in Scotland right now. Is that right? Yeah, I've been kind of forced into taking a much longer trip than I would usually opt for. I've been on the road for nearly two months now, or just oh, wow. over two, um, due to the quarantine restrictions in Hong Kong, where I live. So I've been on this epic seven-country, ten-week tour. <laughs> wow. And so Scotland is your final destination, right? Your final stop, because I believe you're on the way back to Asia shortly. Where else have you been on this this mammoth trip? Um, so I started in Bali, where I was there for a couple of weeks, wow. um, covering, covering a couple of new uh, luxury hotels. And then I went from Bali to Singapore for the ILTM conference. And then I went from Singapore to Bangkok for a few commissions and catch up with some friends. And then I went from Bangkok to the Maldives for a week to visit a couple of resorts. And then from the Maldives back to Scotland. While I've been in Scotland, I've done a side trip to Lake Luzerne in Switzerland. (laughs) And then I just arrived back yesterday from a, oh yeah, I went to Spain with my friends for a week's actual holiday. Wow. And then, yeah, I've just come back from a tour of the Highlands yesterday. The life of a travel writer. So hectic, you actually forgot you went to Spain. That's fantastic. (laughs) It's a busy life, isn't it? What was Lake Lucerne like? That's beautiful at this time of year, I imagine. Yeah, very beautiful. It was uh, my first time in Switzerland and it kind of ticked every box. It was pretty much exactly what I imagined Switzerland to be like. You know, efficient trains, 
beautiful scenery, clean air, amazing hot chocolate. I was going to say uh, chocolate, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really gorgeous, really nice. And I took my dad with me, which is, uh, you know, it's a nice bonus that oh, travel guys sometimes. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, Lee, uh, let's kind of get into the, the podcast proper, as it were. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally, and how you got into the world of travel writing. Well, I was born in Glasgow, but you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not very Glaswegian. Sure. My, um, my dad was a football player, played for Glasgow Rangers, and as a result of that, we ended up in Hong Kong. Fantastic. As part of a 70s soccer boom. So uh, I was raised in Hong Kong. My brother was born there, and then we moved back to the UK when we were teenagers. Both my brother and I moved back as adults because... Hong Kong is home, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My travel rates in Korea, um, yeah, I, I, I never expected to be a travel journalist. I, I've always traveled. As a, When I left school, I worked in a travel agent. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I became cabin crew. I worked as a flight attendant for 18 years. Wow. Which, which airline was that, if you don't mind me asking? I, most of my career was with Thomas Cook. So... Yeah, Selling scratch cards on the night Dalamans. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. But you know what? We had like really amazing long haul. The charters would maybe only fly somewhere once a week. So, you know, I probably spent six months of my life in Cuba because we used to do eight day trips. And I was there like every month for about 10 years. Um, and the same like Dominican, Jamaica, Vegas, Vancouver, we had, you know, fantastic long trips and, and it was great fun being cabin crew while I was young, but I needed more stimulation. So I decided to go to university as a mature student. Fantastic. So when I was in my early thirties, I went to Salford Uni and studied English and creative writing. And my intention was just to get a good degree to move back to Hong Kong. And uh, somewhere along the lane, one of my tutors said to me, you know, you should try travel writing. It's kind of what you've always done. And then my friend spotted a competition for Simon Seeks. And I, I'd just been to Acapulco with the airline and I loved it. It was such an enigmatic place. Uh, so I wrote a little story about Acapulco and won second prize and £50 and thought, well, hey. you know, I'm going to make this my career. I'm going to do this. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Probably one of the most lucrative things in, in journalism, £50 for an article. Fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so it, gave me, it inspired me to think, oh, actually, I could do this. Uh, you know, and um, I didn't know a single person in publishing um, and just uh, started a, you know, just graft in a way trying I followed everyone on Twitter that I could think of all the travel editors and Twitter was much nicer 10 years ago you know (laughs) all all the travel journalists with this lovely little band of people like doing quizzes on like which countries are landlocked happy days (laughs) and uh, yeah everyone was really kind and generous and um, within my first year I had um, small pieces published in the Sunday Times Travel Magazine, in National Geographic Traveller, and Condé Nast Traveller. Wow. Yeah, so then uh, the opportunity for redundancy came up at work. I just I stayed on and did my MA. It was coming to the end of that. I took redundancy, 
moved to Thailand and threw myself into a full-time freelance travel writer. So redundancy made... from, from cabin crew at this point? Where, what yeah. Was yeah. Oh, so yeah. you were actually doing all of the above. You were doing your cabin crew work, you were doing your MA, and you were doing pitching for freelance travel writing. Is that right? Yes, that's right, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You must have been exhausted. <laughs> pretty much on a whim I decided then to move to Thailand I realized I could get a correspondence visa for Thailand I just uh -huh. needed one of my publications to sponsor me uh, so I managed to talk Jill Starley Granger at the yeah. Sunday Times travel magazine and to um, writing the appropriate letter and off I went to Phuket um, really very clueless <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't sound um, that clueless and, to me, Lee. You've got you've obviously gone, right, I'm moving to Thailand. I need a sponsor, you know, a sponsorship place. Job done, right? Up, you know, like very little money, didn't know a single person there, had no idea where I was gonna live. Um and just made friends along the way who, who helped me out really. But you know, my first year I made eight thousand pounds. That was all right. my income. Good and job I you were living in Thailand, I guess. Exactly. I mean, that was quite the reason for, for moving there was the low cost of living. Interesting. Um, and also it gave me the opportunity to like travel like really easily within Southeast Asia, easy and cheap to get around. And a beautiful part of the world to be based in in the first place, right? It's, Phuket's really beautiful, but it's also quite a weird place to live. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, just a holiday island, very transient population. Um, and people kind of stick to their own little groups, you know, so teachers all live on a compound and the hotel staff all live on a compound. So it was actually quite a lonely place, but I was traveling so much. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was a good experience in so the end. What was the reason you chose Phuket specifically, not, you know, not Bangkok or any of the big cities like Chiang Mai? Honestly, it was, like I say, it was just a whim. I'd been on a press trip Brilliant. and I thought, this looks nice. Let's see what it's like to live at the beach for a while. And I ended up there for two and a half years before I, I made the, the leap back to Hong Kong. Wonderful. It sounds like you've, <laughs> I mean, to move to Phuket on a whim is phenomenal anyway. Um, so at this point, you're going, you've gone kind of full-time freelance. You're moving around Southeast Asia. Tell us about some of those kind of inig uh, initial trips, initial destinations that you went to. When I got to pick, I did a few things, like small articles published. And when I moved to Phuket, I emailed quite a few editors just to say I'm moving to Phuket. And if you ever need a safe pair of hands, you know, please remember me. Sure. I didn't send any, you know, direct pictures because um, I really didn't know much about Phuket. <laughs> um, but yeah, about a month after I moved into my apartment, I heard from the Telegraph and they had just decided to monetize all of their travel pages. Mm -hmm. So they commissioned me to write 10 hotel reviews on the destination guide. And then that expanded to restaurants, attractions, um, different things like that. And really that was just such an enormous help. It kind of established me as someone who could cover, <clears throat> excuse me, a bit of a cough just now, no who could cover that part of the world. So you were yeah. you were becoming the go-to guy or go-to lady, I should say, for for that part of the world, almost like a, a, a correspondent, kind of the, the destination expert for, for that part, part of the world. 
Yeah, I think I think so. And there really wasn't anybody else there. You know, there was a couple of writers in Bangkok that I know of, but at the time there was no one covering the South and the islands in a kind of you know, there's people covering it for diving or backpacking, but less so your kind of average traveller or and your luxury traveller, which I ended up again kind of accidentally falling into luxury travel just because there is so much of it in Asia so many new hotel developments, so many up-and-coming beach resorts and things like that. So, so I ended up covering a lot of the luxury stuff and drinking a lot of cocktails by infinity pools. It's a tough life, isn't it? I don't know how we manage. Um, so what kind of, what kind of, is this the, the, the early 2000s are we talking about? Because of course, you know, Thailand's been on the, on the backpacker route for what, since the eighties, nineties perhaps. And of course it's always been the, the hippie trail kind of perfection, you know, perfect destination in the nineties. I know Thailand very well, lived there myself, but of course, as you say, in it, it's now not just the the backpacker destination that maybe made it famous. Things like films, like the beach and stuff. It is now a, a five star international luxury destination. What kind of, I guess maybe you were there to see this boom in luxury tourism in Thailand and around. Does that sound about right? I mean, I think it had already started yeah. when I got there. It just became a lot more accessible, a lot more flight route style stuff, especially direct flights and, you know, connection, like easy connections through the Middle East and Helsinki. And then luxury market just kind of exploded sure. in general. Uh, Phuket was already very overdeveloped, like recklessly overdeveloped when I got there. And, you know, there's definitely areas I still tell people to avoid. But a lot of the island's really beautiful. When I mean, you know, it's really important to know where to go in mm-hmm, Phuket. Absolutely. Or some other destinations, you can just kind of stumble around and, you know, you're going to find, um, you know, appealing restaurants and things like that. But Phuket's just all over the place. It's a bit <laughs> of a hot mess, really. And um, it's kind of helpful for people to know where to go and where to avoid and, uh, you know. What kind of sorry? Uh, what kind of years were the were, were you based in Phuket? Just out of interest. Uh, yes, it was just over ten years ago I moved okay. to Phuket. Fantastic. So we're kind of talking the twenty tens, where yeah, I guess absolutely established now as a as a luxury market that part of the world, uh, and still booming, and I guess still booming even now, right? Um, Thailand yeah, yeah. is you know M- Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, Indonesia, all of these countries, all of these spectacular destinations are, you know luxury destinations now maybe not 30 years ago but absolutely nowadays fantastic so you you know you're, you're out you're living in phuket you're seeing this um not necessarily initial explosion but definitely the the growth and the establishment of this part of the world as a as a luxury travel destination that must have been absolutely fantastic i guess it's this is where you became a luxury travel expert is that right is this how your career as an asia export expert or or luxury expert started yeah, definitely. Um, like I say, there's just this, and it's still the case, even like with COVID, there are so many new, um, really exciting luxury and boutique hotels and design hotels coming up around Asia. I mean, there's a lot of just like concrete blocks as well, you know, horrible overdevelopment. Um, but yeah, it's good to be able to uh, you know, being based in Hong Kong and Asia, I tend to fit and, you know, spent years building up a network of contacts and friends in the industry. So often I'll hear about places that are opening before anyone else. So I can pitch them and get the exclusive mm-hmm. for the first and 
um, which again has been, you know, the editors like exclusives have become a thing over the last few years. And I feel like, you know, being in the location really, really helps to secure them. A hundred percent. I think it's going to become more and more important as time goes by, right? To to have people who are not only living there because they get the true inside track, but because you know things like being more sustainable. Things about why fly somebody to the other side of the world when you've got phenomenally talented writers who already live there and can instantly get copy back, get stories back. Uh, and it sounds like you know you're you're very much started as the go-to lady for for thailand i guess that's now absolutely true for hong kong as well yeah i mean hong kong's my childhood home and you know even while i wasn't living in asia it was somewhere that i was just there all the time and you know even now i, I live like just a few blocks from where i lived as wow. a child and i love the city so much um, so it's always a joy for me to write about it, and I, I do write a, about Hong Kong a lot. Um, but I always, I always really enjoy it. I like to be able to talk about like how great the people are and how inventive the food is, and how much there is to see for such a small city. Hundred percent. I mean, it, I imagine it's changed a hell of a lot in in the time that you've been there as well. Is that right? You know, up until fairly recently, Hong Kong didn't feel like it had changed. Wow. There was always new buildings, new architecture, but the kind of essence of Hong Kong was the same. You know, you had that same feeling and a lot of, you know, there was still a lot of character um, there. But obviously, we've had a really, really horrific three years from the, the protests in 2019. Um, and then, you know, that was an incredibly hard summer the, the city absolutely i mean lord knows the world's had enough of its own problem you know globally talking about pandemic there's been plenty of issues anyway but hong kong's had it particularly bad in the last few years what's it been like to to kind of witness this firsthand I mean, I really never expected to live through anything like this. Wow. It's um, it's truly dystopian. I think for holidaymakers that may come to Hong Kong now that it's opened, and for the expat community that see themselves as expats, you know, it doesn't matter how long they're there, they still see themselves right. as an outside culture. They'll just carry on. You know, it'll still seem very fun on the surface. The dining scene is as dynamic as ever. Hong Kongers love to eat, and the pandemic and the restrictions didn't stop by. <laughs> but I think for actual Hong Kongers, particularly Chinese Hong Kongers, you know, it's horrific. The, the government have brought in patriotic education. Uh, all of our political opposition is now in jail or in exile. We have no pro-democracy politicians. Textbooks are actually being rewritten to say that Hong Kong was not a British colony. Um, so for regular Hong Kongers, this is something that they are really struggling to live with. They don't want their kids to have to salute the flag of China, for example. So they are leaving in droves. During the protests, everyone had taken to wearing face masks right. because of the tear gas. And the government saw this as um, suspicious and outlawed face masks and said they were illegal to Terrifying. wear them. And then COVID came along in the January. We started to hear rumours that were kind of seeping out on Chinese social media. So again, everyone was wearing their face masks. And then the government relented and made face masks compulsory, which means at the moment in Hong Kong, we have a situation where it is both illegal to wear a face mask 
and legally mandated. (laughs) So that's just one small example of like just how dystopian it is for for Hong Kong people at the moment. Obviously, you're in a, 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 I don't know, wonderful or bittersweet position in that you know Hong Kong. You 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 know you grew up there. It's it's home for you. And obviously you yeah. you love the city, you love the people, you love the food, you love the landscapes, and we'll absolutely get into the natural landscapes of Hong Kong shortly. Um, but to see this, you know, this hardship as well, it actually reminds me, we had Mary Novakovic on the show not too long ago, and she wrote her, a book about her childhood, searching for beauty among the bullet holes in Croatia's hinterland. The, the, my Family and Other Enemies was the name of the book. And yeah, there's like- this interesting balance between like knowing something has had well, like in Croatia's case, it's kind of a dark history that's kind of behind the country now. This is obviously like still going on. So there's this must be a very difficult kind of shift going on in your in your mind about you love this place and you always will, but seeing the hardship all around you, how kind of how do you cope with that? I mean, my faith lies in young Hong Kong people right. who I like, you know, witnessed during the protests were so clever and so caring and so determined. And um, yeah, my, my faith has to lie with that. And while Hong Kong people remain there, the essence of Hong Kong is the same, I feel. From what I could tell, you know, we, obviously folks, we uh, Lee and I had a little conversation before we kind of went live. You still seem really excited to go, to go back there. It's obviously a, a, a tough conversation and a tough situation rather at the moment, but you seem really excited to go back to Hong Kong in, in the next few days. Is that right? Yeah, I am. I am. I like. I really do miss Hong Kong when I'm away. I miss my shumai and my chai seal bow and <laughs> shopping in my neighbourhood and on the markets. And um, yeah, you know, it's the, it really is a, the most incredible city. It's so beautiful. We have amazing hiking and beaches. And my brother lives there as well. And my niece, you know, and my niece went to the same schools that we went to. So it's yeah, like I say, it's home. We'll get on to hiking and exercise in just one second, but more importantly than that, food. Did you say, was it was it bao? You said they're the rolls, right? The buns. Yeah, chasil bao, yeah, from... The, uh, the pork buns, is that right? My favourite one. Yeah, the pork, barbecue pork buns, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. There you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Remind me of the pronunciation, Lee. Chasil bao, is that right? Chasil bao, yeah. Chasil bao. If nobody's uh, listening and, and, nobody's, uh, and you haven't eaten them, Absolutely phenomenal kind of pork buns. I'm sure you can get them in uh, Chinese restaurants in in the UK or in the Western world, but I assume they're nowhere near as as good as the real thing out in Hong Kong. No, absolutely not. Nowhere compared (laughs) to Hong Kong. (laughs) (laughs) There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Let's talk a little bit. You mentioned hiking just then, Lee. Let's talk a bit about your experiences because I think a lot of people won't wouldn't really see Hong Kong as as a hiking or as an outdoor destination, even though it's got plenty of it and it's got you know parks and mountains. And of course, that's what you wrote about for for issue two of Journey. Perhaps you could share a little bit about about the story itself and about the you know your experience hiking in Hong Kong. Yeah, well, actually, you know, people are always surprised to hear that Hong Kong's actually 70% protected green land. Wow. You know, they see the cityscape, uh, the harbour front, of which course. is, uh, you know, so dramatic. But actually, yeah, we have a lot. We have protected um, bird parks, wetlands. Um, we have a UNESCO heritage, geo heritage park, which I wrote about for sure. a journey. Um, yeah, so Haken has become extremely popular during the pandemic because we couldn't travel yeah, anywhere. Absolutely. We had uh, 31 months, I think it was, with the borders closed. So, uh, we, yeah, we have hundreds and hundreds of miles of Haken trails around Hong Kong. Um, a lot of it was all established by a, a former British governor years ago. And I think everyone's very thankful to him all these decades on that it has protected the city. Um, yeah, you can go off, you can bump into wild boar, uh, hikes, black, uh, oh, sorry, black capes, um, snakes, big boa constrictors. Wow. Pythons. And this is what, this is an hour and a half outside of the centre of the town, something like that, centre of the city? Uh, I live in Wan Chai in the city, and I can in 15 minutes I can be in the wilderness. That's yeah. Uh, I that's... can just head up to say Mount Butler, which I can see from my apartment, and that meanders all the way to the kind of southeast coast of Hong Kong, and you can just go oh, off no. and be in complete silence, no other people for hours at a time. If my if memory serves, I mean, Hong Kong is known to be kind of mountainous in the sense that there's a huge is it do they just call it the mountain not right in the middle of town i seem to remember there being a bubba gump shrimp on the top of a mountain oh, you're victoria peak victoria <laughs> peak thank you very much i don't know where the phrase the mountain came from maybe that was one of my friends who lives there kind of just being all cool and calling it the mountain um but yeah obviously that bubba gump shrimp not particularly outdoorsy vibe but you know only 15 minutes from bang in the middle of town and you're in it's um what do they call it? Biosphere, is that right? Biosphere Reserve. Uh, the Sai Kung um, UNESCO Biosphere is uh, further out. So it it's takes maybe out. 90 minutes to get to I the mean, edge still, of the uh, So easy kind of day trip material then, easy. Yeah, absolutely. It's super easy. Um, and the hike I did for Journey actually was one I'd never been on. Um, and it was such a joy. And this is another reason why I love Hong Kong so much. That mm. you know, my family have been there for 40 odd years and I still discover new things all the time it has so many layers to it and uh, the Lai Chi Wo trail that, that I wrote about was just uh, incredible really incredible there was geological features there was a fantastic restaurant in the middle of a field and um, yeah and temples and a little walled village and uh, some art stuff along the way Fantastic. It feels like you've kind of, you know, it's got it's the, got the whole hog, the whole nine yards of everything you could want from a travel trip 90 minutes away from the middle of Hong Kong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people come to Hong Kong for a weekend or a couple of days stopover, but you can easily stay for weeks and weeks and fill your itinerary every day. Or you could stay for 40 years and still have things to do, it sounds like. 
Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Lee, let's start to talk a little bit about the future. What are your next trips or stories? What are your plans for the next couple of months? So, I mean, after this trip, I just want to stay home. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, but actually, I've got some Hong Kong commissions to do when I get back. Some, uh, uh, you know, how to live like a local uh, nice. cliche and yeah, update a lot of updating now that it's opened up. So I'm going to be updating hotel reviews, updating restaurant listings and stuff like that. So that everything's current because we have lost a fair few businesses over the oh. I can imagine it. Nice to do the kind of the travel writing that doesn't always need too much travel, right? I've, I've had a hectic few months myself, and I've got some some guidebook work to do on the Cotswolds. And of course, I live in the Cotswolds, so I'm really excited to not have to kind of jump on a plane or jump on a train. And I've, you know, this part of the job, and I love it, so I'm not going to complain too much. But it's also nice to to, as you say, to live local, like a local, or almost to do the tourism stuff in the place where you live, which we never do because it's, you don't, you don't do it if it's on your doorstep. So to go and, as you see, go and see some new hotels some new restaurants round the corner from where I live, down the road from where I live. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, it's nice that, you know, before the pandemic, we, you know, I would have visitors all the time in Hong Kong, yeah, old friends, family, and then travel writers would always like look me up when they were in town as well. So it quite often give me an excuse to go and see like new tourist things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just really looking forward to be, being home for a couple of months. And then for spring, I've got my eye on Nepal. Uh, there's a new series of lodges that have opened that kind of go all the way from Kathmandu to Everest Base Camp. Oh, wow. 15 of them. Because even though I do luxury travel, I have my adventures too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I have kind of like a fantasy, you know, riding a horse with an eagle on my shoulder through the mountains of the falls. <laughs> Fantastic. I look forward to seeing that on one of your social media channels soon, like dressed up like a, well, I guess almost like a, a Mongolian hunter comes to mind, right? I know we we're talking about Nepal, not Mongolia, but the kind of the eagle and you send it out into the world and it brings back a stoat i don't know what they can to put you know. <laughs> wonderful um lee you've obviously had a phenomenal and a really really varied and really really interesting career uh th there's going to be people listening to this who are looking to get involved in either travel writing travel photography or even being you know a travel expert travel consultant uh what kind of tips would you give to people starting out in the industry I think when I started it, one of the most helpful pieces of advice that I got was to pitch the front of book, mm -hmm. um, the smaller sections, and also they quite often have the con consumer sections. So, like, no one wants to write the 800-word article on car insurance <laughs> or reclaiming, you know, making a claim on damaged luggage and things like that. So editors are generally always quite grateful to have those kinds of things like pictures. nibs and stuff. Wow, right? You've got like new flight routes in in flight magazines and stuff. That kind of stuff it, it is crucial to to particularly like if you're a flight magazine, if you've just uh, launched a new route, you want to get that news out into the world. So the 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 nibs or news in briefs, as we call them, and the and the front of book was the was the technical term, rightly. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's definitely where I get my start. My my first three pieces that I mentioned earlier, they were all tiny, right. but it gave me the chance to say... Spiders, um, isn't it? Or, or, or yeah, it's, it's a portfolio. Yeah, and actually my first piece of Sunday Times Travel Magazine was um, on how to survive a plane crash. Oh, so wow. again, 
other piece of advice would be write about what you know. You know, I came from aviation and I came from Asia, so that was the things I was pitching when I started today. You, you, you say write about what you know. Did you survive a plane crash? No, I didn't survive a plane okay. crash, but obviously I had a lot of safety training. <laughs> I was going to say that would be that would be uh, something else. Yeah, of course, because all your time as cabin crew and you've obviously gone through all the 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 regulations and stuff so yeah and even now I still write aviation pieces like how to get an upgrade and stuff like that which Fantastic. you know it won't happen you're more likely to sleep with your favorite Hollywood star than to get a free <laughs> upgrade um but there are ways you can slightly increase your chances Interesting. so yeah write about what you know um I'll definitely um, be yeah become uh, exactly as you did with southeast asia i guess become become the expert uh, expert is a vague term but become the go-to person for for a destination or a topic so that people go oh you know we need somebody to cover a hotel in you know uh, what's a good example chiang mai or a good ex- uh, phuket new hotel launch oh lee will know right and then you get that kind of reputation to become I hate, I actually hate the phrase expert. I used to call myself a Malaysia expert because I used to live there, but to be an expert on an entire country to me seems kind of mad because I've not been to every single, I'm not even a destination expert for the Cotswolds, even though I live here. So I won't use that phrase too, um, kind of too thoroughly, let's say, but it's exactly what you've done, Lee, right? You've become somebody that's known as knowing your stuff for that destination. Yeah, I think so. I mean, quite often, you know, again, before the pandemic and now that I'm getting back in the flow, I'd gotten to a stage where I didn't really need to pitch. Fantastic. Wow. would approach me, um, new hotels, like say, or new destinations are kind of coming up all the time around Asia. So I was in a very fortunate position where, you know, I barely, barely had to pitch. I mean, that all changed when the pandemic hit. And then... And then I was having to pitch about like the new Disney castle in Hong Kong or like, what, where the aeroplane graveyards were around the world and stuff. Like wow. That. <laughs> that's amazing. I guess it's uh, to become the freelancer that doesn't need to pitch. That's the dream. Sorry, you were going to say. I was saying, yeah. So you have to be adaptable as well. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, I think we're just about kind of wending our way slowly, but surely towards the end of our call, but let's uh, finish with how people can find you online, Lee, you know, Twitter, Facebook website. Tell us about how people can find you. Um, because I must be a glutton for punishment. You can mostly <laughs> find me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> at Lee go by, uh, Goose Lee is my handle like Bruce Lee, but a goose. <laughs> um, and uh, instagram yeah lee kobai as well and then i'm on all the usual channels just for people to just so people know kobai is spelled c-o-b-a-j yes so correct. if anyone's looking to to find lee kobai on uh you say you're on instagram and facebook and twitter was that correct instagram and twitter excuse me yes yeah and, and you have a, a website which is leekabai.com as well i believe that's correct. Yes. Must update that soon. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I think that is just about all we have time for, unfortunately. You've been listening to travel writer and consultant Lee Kabai. It's been fantastic talking to you, Lee. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. I look forward to the next issue.
Oh, it's coming out soon. Actually, thank you for kind of leading me beautifully into that, folks. It's um, uh, issue three has just gone to the printers, so it will be ready in November. I we're recording this on the twenty first of October, uh, but yeah, literally just completed it the week before. So issue three of Journey will be available within about three, two, three weeks from now. So that's all very, very exciting. Uh, in the meantime, I will say thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to the Journey podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Cy Wilmore and thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.